Welcome to the SoGrow Marketing Council podcast. The SoGrow Marketing Council is a membership organization comprised of growing marketers who want to stay ahead of developments in multiple areas of marketing. This podcast features recordings of SoGrow Marketing Council meetings. Tune in to hear expert marketers share tips and discuss the latest strategies and tools in marketing. To join the next meeting and be part of the discussion yourself, visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com and click on the Marketing Council tab. Let's get growing. Welcome to the SoGrow Marketing Council meeting. I'm so excited to see you guys today. Today is going to be a great meeting. We're going to have a chance to talk and learn from each other, which we enjoy every month. So thank you for coming today. The way the meeting works is that we have people who have volunteered to provide tips today. So each presenter will have about four minutes to share a tip, and then we'll have about one or two minutes for discussion after that. And it's an opportunity for us to all learn from each other. So a lot of meetings that you go to, you have a single speaker and the speaker tells something specific about one topic area. And this is a little different than that. The way that this group works is that we have a group of experts and we all learn from each other. And we're hoping that by being able to learn from each other, we don't have to do quite as much work to stay up to speed on all these different areas of marketing we can basically rely on these experts to let us know the main things that are happening or different trends or strategies or tactics that we can use in marketing. Marketing touches a lot of different areas, so it's nice to be able to know what's going on in graphic design and SEO and book publishing and speaking and all these different areas. And then I also invite you guys to get to know each other. I invite you to put your name and your company and your contact information in the chat and have coffee with each other, get to know each other. The main reason this group started is because I had people, they would ask me, can you recommend somebody for SEO? Can you recommend somebody to do my website? And I was always hesitant because I didn't always have a good person that I could rely on or that I knew was trustworthy. And so by attending these meetings and hearing from people, we get to know everybody and we get to know their expertise. And so we feel really comfortable recommending them so we can share business. And if you need PR, you probably need a book publishing coach, Anita, and you probably need sales and you probably need graphic design, social media, whatever it might be. So it's a really good opportunity to just share business and have um, companies to recommend as well. And when you share your tip, I will put the order in the chat. Um, When you share your tip, just be sure to say your name and your company so we can get to know you. This is recorded. And so we have the video tips on YouTube. We often send the best tips to the presenters as well. So you guys can put those on your LinkedIn profile. You can send them in an email. You can use those as well. And then we also do this as a podcast. So I'm going to put some of this information in the chat. I've got a link to our next meeting, which is September 19th. So go ahead and sign up for that. And if you want to present at that meeting, go ahead and submit your tip. And then we have the link for the podcast. Go back and listen to the episodes. We've had lots and lots of episodes there. So there's just a wealth of knowledge there. And then we also have the YouTube channel. And then we also have a forum. So um, you can go on there and look, we have all these different topic areas. And if you have a topic you would like to post on the forum, please let me know because we would love to have your expertise on there and we'd love to promote that as well. And so, um, yes, you can. Somebody just asked if you can share slides. Yes, you can. I've got it set so that you can share. So lots of people share slides. You don't have to share slides, but you are certainly welcome to do that as well. So um, I'm going to go ahead and put the order in the chat. Um, 
And like I said, as people join, we'll just um, be able to do that. But uh, if you have a, a tip that you've submitted ahead of time, that's great. And then if you are just attending as a guest, you're welcome to just introduce yourself at the end. So we'd love to just get to know you as well. So we are going to have Sarah Stewart kick us off today. And Sarah is also our timer. So she will let you know when she starts waving at you. If you hear a buzzer, that's your four minute timer. So she'll be able to just let you know when you're getting close to your time. All right, Sarah, I'm going to turn it over to you today. So um, in the marketing, in a lot of the marketing circles that I'm in, everyone's talking about GAI, which is generative AI for content marketing. So that's like, you know, AI is kind of, it's everywhere. It's buzzy. I can't wait to hear Megan tip because she's going to talk about talk desk and AI for customer service and things like that and chatbots. So that'll be super interesting. But um, generative AI for content, you know, for content marketing and public relations is a hot topic. And it's something that, you know, people have strong opinions about and new technology is still coming out. Um, so, you know, chat um, GPT, there's lots of other options out there and there are new options coming up every day, you know, and people are using this to create content, to create audio, code, images, text simulations, you know, all kinds of different things. So um, it's happening. Um, the adoption is really picking up, um, you know, here's some stats to kind of like get you thinking about it. Um, things grew since 2021, 250%. Um, that's one stat. 88% of marketers believe their organization must increase automation to stay competitive. Um, and this is competitive, you know, not just domestically, but definitely internationally. It's, you know, China and India and other countries are really stepping up the way that they use AI to do a lot of, as a tool, you know, using it as a tool to do things to make, you know, your marketing more personalized, to get more things done, all that kind of stuff. 90% um, of commercial leaders are planning to adopt um, generative AI solutions in the next two years. So, oh, and I didn't introduce myself. My name is Sarah Stewart. Um, I work with Sogar PR. I'm an account manager and social media strategist. So um, I've been doing this for 15 years since about, I started in newspapers. So I definitely have that hard journalism bent where the AI stuff makes me very nervous. Um, and then got into public relations and marketing. So, and I've been with Stephanie for um, about seven or eight years. I think I'm, I'm, I think August is my work Werner, work anniversary. So um, this is where people in marketing are using AI right now um, the most. So paid advertising, this is a recent stat. I've got the reference down there and I'll put this slideshow in the chat so you guys can look at it. Um, personalized email messages. Oh, Yana Tori, I'm so glad you're here. So Yana's going to talk about email so she can kind of update us on what's going on there. Um, so you can see the different, you know, ways that people are using AI in their marketing. Um, so this is just some like small ways. So we do public relations and social media. We do a lot of content generation and, you know, we're approaching, um, we approach generative AI, GAI very um, carefully because accuracy is really important to us. Creativity is really important to us. You know, having um, the sources, it's, you know, it's definitely a sticky thing, but simple stuff that can make your life easier, like, you know, table of contents over here. It's like, can you write me 
this like, you know, if you need to quickly generate something for a white paper or, um, you know, a larger, you know, section of content for a website or, you know, anything that you're working on this, it can be helpful to kind of spitball ideas. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't never just like sign off on any of it. Like you definitely need to look through it and be really careful about it, but useful, you know, um, here's another thing, email marketing. I was like, you know, give me some email headers for, you know, a group email to send out. Oh my goodness. They've got plenty of options in there. So, you know, you can just, you know, look, get some ideas quickly. Super useful. Um, I haven't done used um, GAI for audience research, but apparently you can. Um, <laughs> so like it, it's useful to like play around with, you know, like being careful about it, but you know, hey, dig in there and see what you can get. Um, definitely, like I said, the ethical and security concerns, especially with, you know, stuff that is, you know, supposed to be independent, supposed to not have bias, um, needs to have a good tone. Um, accuracy is incredibly important. You know, a lot of people, you know, anyone in the accuracy industry is pushing back, you know, against AI and they've got, you know, um, definitely have concerns and things like that, you know, newsrooms are definitely pushing back against it and writing letters about preserving the public trust, um, that type of thing. Um, the industries that are adopting it much slower are like government, you know, um, anything that's highly regulated. Um, people don't even like government industries don't even want to give their information into the chatbots to ask questions about it. So, you know, that's going on. So you just need to be aware of it. Um, the most important thing is stay informed and proceed with caution. Like, you know, there's a lot of great tools out there and a lot of wonderful things that could make our life, you know, our lives easier, our marketing better, help us to reach more people. Um, you know, find some good sources that you can follow to stay up on what people are talking about, ways that you can use it. Um, there's even, there's tons of new coursework popping up. Um, Cornell Online has like a new um, AI and marketing certification. Um, Media Post was really good for just news. It gave me a general sentiment in terms of like the headlines across the industry of pros and cons and not just the positive stuff where sometimes um, the trade publications covering it can be so positive, but not the negative as well. So my name is Sarah Stewart um, and that's my tip. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. Questions, thoughts for Sarah? It's such a hot topic right now. Sarah, I love you, the use of like ChatGPT and generative AI to help create some of the content. I know my team does that a lot too for helping the sales team um, get out all of the assets and wonderful campaign content that my team is doing. So, you know, it's a really great tool to save time on our campaign managers as well, just to kind of help. Hey, here's the abstract of this webinar that we're promoting. Help me write a quick sales email, um, you know, that you can use. So it, it's a lot of really great content and generative AI is definitely a time saver um, for my team, especially when it's on the smaller side, um, especially with with all the rifts happening and, and all of that. So um, it's it's a really great tool to have. Very cool. Yeah, been, uh, there's been a lot of um, controversy about uh, AI with regard to book writing and publishing. And people mm. in my industry are 
<laughs> battling it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot of new authors have, you know, turned to AI to develop book content. And of course, us on the production side are kind of waving the flag going, hold on, not so fast, you know, because mm -hmm. copyright issues and, Huge. you know, yeah, the fact that if you can go online and generate content, which is essentially an accumulation of other content that's already out there, mm -hmm. how does that vote for your readers? I mean, they could go and do the same thing. So why would they bother to read your book? So you're not really the expert. You're just grabbing some content from somewhere else. So we are sort of warning people to be careful. There are some great uses mm -hmm. uh, for AI in the book publishing industry as part of the process of publishing your book which does not include actually writing your book. So it could be used in research. It could be used in, you know, uh, coming up with questions to help uh, guide your beta readers and things like that to give you feedback uh, on your manuscript, but to not actually write your manuscript for you. Exactly. Awesome. So Anita, would you like to go ahead and share your tip and introduce yourself? Sure. And I'm not even going to lie. This is off the top of my head because I didn't even come up with a topic. That's okay. <laughs> and it, it, if you don't want to, but I, you know, you're welcome to present it. Oh, why not? You you know, so much. What did your mama say? When you have an opportunity to speak, speak, right? Go for it. Yeah. Good to be here, ladies. I'm Anita Henderson. I'm known as the author's midwife. My company is The Right Image and I uh, coach under writeyourlife.net. Uh, I'm a, an author, coach, and book publishing strategist, and I help smart people, corporate executives, entrepreneurs, speakers, coaches, consultants, uh, write, publish, and leverage business building nonfiction books. So these are the memoir, the self-help, how-to, subject matter exploration, and so forth. And... Um, I would say a tip for today is that um, people can actually use independent book publishing as a bridge to traditional book publishing. I talk to a lot of first-time authors and their big dream is to be published by a big publishing house, right? And that's wonderful. And in the back of my mind, I feel like the parent of a student athlete who says, mom and dad, I'm going to just skip college and I want to go straight to the big leagues. And I'm in, in my mind, I'm going to bless their heart. That's so sweet. That's wonderful. Which is not to say that a traditional publishing deal is out of the question or that it is impossible. But with the way that the book publishing industry works, particularly these days, it's a long shot. It's really difficult. Um, traditional publishers are buying your brand. They're buying your following. And it should be thousands and thousands of people. Um, and that is online. That is you showing proof that you've spoken to literally thousands, tens of thousands of people in person or virtually. Um, and they want to know that you're bringing to the table lots of people who will buy whatever your name is on. And most first-time authors don't have that. Most regular people like us are coming to the book writing table with some knowledge and some experience and information, and we just want to share it, right? We want to share it, and then we want to leverage that book. And so uh, we probably don't have, you know, 100,000 followers on social media, and we may not have spoken to, you know, 100,000 people over the last 12 months. Um, 
And so I recommend that regular folks uh, really do take advantage of independent book publishing, which a lot of people consider self-publishing. And I don't like to use that term because people think self-publishing means you have to do everything yourself and you don't and you shouldn't. Uh, there are publishing services companies, there are coaches and strategists like me uh, who will support you through the entire process. Most first-time authors have no idea what it takes to write and publish a book. And so that's what we do. Um, we give them all the ins and outs, the support, the project management, the coaching and everything. And they actually work with a real publisher. They may not be based in New York. It may not be a name that you recognize, but you actually are working with an, a real publisher and you get your book published uh, with one of the main advantages, uh, faster to market. It doesn't take years and years for you to shop it around through a literary agent, uh, and cross your fingers that at some, you know, meeting uh, with the board of a publisher that they actually like your idea. But secondarily, you actually own your content. You own the book content and you own the rights to everything, which is not necessarily true, probably not true if you're publishing traditionally. So those are a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, when you're thinking about writing a book and crossing your fingers uh, for a traditional publishing deal, you can always use your independently published book as a bridge to traditional publishing. Uh, show that you have proof of support, right? Uh, that you have used your independent published book to grow your audience, build your following and your visibility and credibility. And then with book number two, you can take that to a literary agent or a traditional publisher and say, hey, look, I've got what you're looking for. Go ahead and buy my idea. So uh, the book publishing industry is changing constantly. And I really do believe that independent book publishing is an amazing opportunity for people who have a great message and some amazing knowledge to get out to uh, the marketplace. So great. So great, Anita. Thank you for that. It's such a great industry marketing tool for our clients and for us as marketers. Thoughts and questions for Anita. I have so many questions, but I don't think we have the time. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be connecting later. Um, what do you think is the the first thing? I think I, I know people, I know I've thought about it. Um, what is the thing that people should think about first, other than the idea of, or their audience maybe? Um, what... How do you make a decision if this is a good idea for you? Yes or no? You already know. You said all the things. <laughs> I, so first of all, write what you know, right? Mm -hmm. Don't make it up as you go along and don't stress yourself out trying to research an industry you're unfamiliar with. But also, secondly, know who you're writing for, who's your audience. Uh, and then after that, I would say, know what you want your audience to get from your book. What's I tell people all the time, what do you want your readers to think? to feel and to do when they finish reading your book. Uh, it should change them in some way and it should be obvious to them by the time they get to the end of your book. So that, that's the leverage part of the book. And um, you have so much more freedom and opportunity to, to use different tools that we incorporate uh, when you're publishing independently versus when you're publishing traditionally because a traditional publishing house is in business for them to make money not for you to make money. And so when you publish independently, you get an opportunity 
to incorporate some strategies into your book content uh, that allow you to leverage that book uh, for growth with your platform. Yonatory, you. you need to write a book. You have uh -huh. so <laughs> much knowledge. Is that what you're thinking? Is that in your brain? Because if it's not, let's put it there. And uh -huh. you maybe your next oh author. <laughs> it's just, it's just to shock people with the information and to... You know, like you want to take a child illegally, it's illegal, but like shake him until they listen. I just would like to write a book and just hopefully they understand. <laughs> do it. Do it. We want to see it. You should. Mm -hmm. So much knowledge to share. We all need it. So please put it in a little book for us so we can. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of little janitorials would make my life. Like people are like, why do you want to tell these people how to do it? I'm like, I don't want to do what I do anymore. Like, we're good. People should do it themselves. I'll do the difficult stuff. I'm tired of doing the easy stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you guys need to talk. I know Yanatori is not local. She is currently in Cyprus. Are you still in Cyprus? Yes, I'm okay. back in Cyprus. I arrived yesterday. Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank Nita, you. Nita, I, I have one, one quick question for you. Do you find that people, um, instead of writing, speak their stories or speak their information and then translate that into writing or do uh, they you know do they typically just start out writing there's a combination those authors who are speakers like that's their platform or they do some speaking uh, some people just find it easier to talk it out. And there's yeah. so many, speaking of artificial intelligence, there's so many AI tools <laughs> to yeah. allow you to just talk it out and your words get transcribed and you can take that and that becomes the foundation for your book manuscript. Other people just feel more comfortable writing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a toss up. Some people do a, a combination of yeah. the other two, yeah. That's great. Sherry, Thank would you, you like to introduce yourself and share your tips? Sam, she and I were chatting before, and I'm really interested to hear what's going on in the area you're about to talk about. All right, my dear. Well, um, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Sherry Wheat. I have a company that I've had for 25 years. Uh, the name is Telesales. So you know what we do. We are on the phones. We're a business to business inside sales team. And it's been a virtual business for 25 years. And I have independent contractors that are older seasoned salespeople that want to work on a part-time basis. And that's who I put on the phone. And they're incredible. And so we have done all kinds, mostly outbound cold calling, um, but we do inbound follow-up. We do trade show follow-up, which is what I'm going to talk to you about. We have called on customers when bigger clients need um, additional teams to support them when there's a big deadline. Um, so we we talk to people. Um, and so to your point of getting emails every day, you know, I, I nobody ever follows, follows up. They don't call me. And if they do, they have automatically differentiated themselves in our mind, in my mind. So I want to talk a little bit um, about um, follow-up calling to um, after a trade show because the trade shows are starting to come back and they're, it's well known that people will get lots of leads there, um, but they don't follow up. And so the marketing um, team may be doing the trade show 
and then they offload the list to the sales team. The sales team does nothing. And so all that potential ROI is lost. So what I'm going to talk about today is, is the things we should be doing as we approach the trade show, during the trade show, and mostly after the trade show. So pre-show, we want to organize a lead capture. And the shows may already produce that for you. And some don't. So you end up with uh, business cards or notes. Um, but you want to set that up in an Excel spreadsheet with the basic information, particularly notes from the conversations that you've had. So that's pre-show. And then you also want to develop a conversation guide for post-show. And the conversation guide is everything you're going to say to this warm lead to pre-qualify them. So you want to Eliminate those that have no intention of buying whatsoever and focus on those that um, that may actually have a need. I don't know. Are you guys um, familiar with BANT? B-A-N-T. So it's budget, authority, need, and timeline. So that is a one structure to use to pre-qualify, disqualify, qualify. So... When you're following up, you can be very friendly and hi, and I'm calling you back. And But I have a, a number of questions. I'd like to understand, are you buying? Are you not buying? So very specific questions, five to seven questions. Do you have a budget to buy? If you're buying, when will you be buying? What is the pain that we would that you would like us to address? What is the problem that we can solve for you? Um, are they the main decision maker? Um, are they responsible for purchasing? And what is their timeline? Are they buying now? Are they buying in six months, whatever? Um, and then, um, so it's very important to ask very specific questions and you eliminate, you know, you'll eliminate 80% of the list that just stop by or they wanted candy or whatever. Um, when you're on the phones, you want to ask open-ended questions. You don't want to ask closed-ended closed questions. So who, what, when, how, tell me about, tell me about. Um, so all the questions about when they're buying, et cetera. Um, you may want to ask about their competitors. So is there someone they're already working with? And if so, what's the relationship? And why would they think about working with me? Um, what's the best way to communicate with you if I'm going to be following up? So it's all those great questions about them and understanding and um, understanding them and the best way to work with them. And then, um, so you're going to go through the process of sales. So how do we advance the conversation? What are the closing questions we're going to be asking? What are the upselling questions? So all of that can be developed before a trade show. So you're ready to rock and roll and you can get on the phones within a day or two after a trade show, not Monday morning. Um, and then also being ready to handle objections. And usually the objections relate to time and money or low interest. So preparations for how to respond to them. Um, one thing that I think is really important is that there are different ways to talk to people. So there, we can talk from our head. We can talk from our heart. When you get on the phones and talk from your head, 
that's what you're going to get back. There's no breaking through and making friends with the other person at the end of the, uh, on the other end of the line. But if you talk from your heart, it opens doors in ways we we may not be aware of. So, um, you know, tell me about you. You know, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? You know, questions about you to get you to open their door, that open their willingness to talk more. Um, so <clears throat> I'm almost done, but it's okay to have fun on the phones. It's okay to um, say something that's unexpected to open the door. It's okay to acknowledge that they're special and we're all special. It's okay to, you know, love when you're connecting. A lot of times when I'm connecting or about to connect with someone I don't know, I'll go to my heart, you know, and just say, all right, now I'm ready to talk. So it's just sort of a different approach to being kind um, and loving in a world where we can need more of, we, we all need more of that. So how can I help? What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? You know, are you interested in buying? So um, those, that's sort of information that I would recommend preparing for a trade show and after a post-trade show activity. So great, Sherry. I appreciate what you do because I feel like a lot of the work that the rest of us do, we do all of the things. You know, I'm at the top of the funnel with PR and then we've got the content marketing, we've got the email, we're going down and down and down. And I feel like where it falls apart is the sales piece. I feel like we give all these beautiful leads to these clients and then nobody follows up. And so having that piece, I think is so critical. It's just really, really important. So yeah. thoughts, questions for Sherry? Sherry, I think um, like in the value too of talking to someone, I mean, I know that there are so many times that, you know, the automated system, you know, can help the solution, but for people that you know, maybe have reservations or aren't sure or, um, you know, and, and also I'm thinking like customer service, if people are frustrated or angry, typically if you can get someone live to talk to, that's like, you know, that can Maybe. be very, it can be very powerful, you know, because yeah. it's like everything in our society is so automated that sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, I just want to talk to someone live or have someone live follow up with me. So, right. Um, yeah. So true. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Sherry. We appreciate it. I have a quick have question a for Sherry. Sherry, what's your what's your approach to leaving voicemails for people? Like everybody oh, yeah. can answer the phone when you call the first time. Yeah. Um, when we're setting up a program, we have three strategies. So what we're going to say over the phone, what's our voicemail, what's our email? And we refer, absolutely, we leave voicemails. We may not leave it on the first call. But we have we may have multiple voicemail messages that we leave, and the same with the email. So we're going to refer back and forward. I've got clients that we work with. Um, we we do all three strategies, and we'll have people a year later call uh, call us back or email us and say, "I'm ready to use you guys now. Please be in touch with me." So mm -hmm. you know you've got your short term leads and you've got your long term leads. So yeah. And that's important strategies for us. That's great. Good, good word. Thank you so much, Sherry. 
Virginia, we'll have you yep. introduce yourself and share your tip and then Megan and then Yana Tori, and if we have time, I'll wrap us up. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Virginia Navajiker. I'm the CEO of Transformative Power. And uh, one tip that I have for you today is that I believe that when it comes to marketing um, and, you know, in the case of personal branding or organizational branding, um, a lot of people focus on the actions. So what is my lead magnet? What is my post? What is my campaign, what is whatever, right? And then, so basically when you're focusing on that, you're focusing on the how to. So you went out of really who you are, what you are, and then you move into, how am I going to create this post? How am I going to create this campaign? How am I going to create this? And then what, that, what happens is that a lot of people, even organizations, you know, I've been a marketer for big organizations and I've been a consultant for different kinds of organizations. Then it became, it becomes mechanical because it's like, okay, this is a pain point. This is the symptom. This is the thing. Who is my target? Who is my avatar? And then you're talking like you're a robot. And then it really takes away from your conversational style and the emotional connection with your client. So one suggestion for you is before you go into the how-to, like I'm going to create a post or I'm going to do a campaign or I'm going to write a case study. And before you get into your head around the, you know, the problem you're solving, your target avatar, your <laughs> all of that, step back and look at yourself. And I know this sounds really weird, right? But if you have your personal brand, look at yourself and think about yourself and say, how do I want to be remembered? What is the impact I want to create for this person? If this person comes across this post or comes across this campaign, what do I, how do I want to serve them? Like, how is this going to make their life better? How am I making their life better? If you're an organization and you're a leader of an organization, is how my vision how is this vision? How is the group of my employees? How is my team making people's life better? Like, why am I even creating this ad in the first place? And then it gets you back to your mission. And I just recently, you know, have a client that, you know, I basically was like, you know, you help all these parents, like you help them provide all these solutions. You're an advocate for their, you know, their, their, their children and you help them through all of these difficulties. And when she was able to really connect with her mission, she was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, so do you have a story to tell? I was like, yeah, you know, and do you have like, you know, parent stories? I was like, yeah. And like, do you have your employees tell stories? I was like, yeah. And then we created all these video campaigns for her around all this story. But she was so, you know, but I guess a lot of people before they're so focused on the one, two, three tip, the one, whatever, that is just not connected at all. But when you go back, and then you really can simplify because you can actually record yourself in a Zoom video for three minutes, connecting with your client, and then put it on LinkedIn instead of the one, two, three step that nobody cares and you sound like everybody else. So yeah, so I would say it's a really, really, really important process. So the moment you start getting mechanics, it's stuck because it's not going to work. 
and then then go back to you're talking to a human being you you are connecting with a person you're here for a reason you're here for an impact and when you do you will see the huge difference that every single action you make is you know and that has happened to me so i hope that tip really helps you really uh stop being mechanical and really stand out because if you see all these ads if you see all these posts you'll see everything looks the same and then you don't want to look the same you, you want you and your company to look different so it's great thank you virginia and it touches a little bit on what sarah was saying about ai can be a little bit mechanical and what she was saying about those human connections so it's definitely something as marketers we need to consider and and keep in the forefront of our minds for sure any thoughts or questions for virginia Well, I think my thought is that when you take Virginia's advice and approach those engagements from a, the perspective of how do you want to be viewed, you know, be remembered, um, and the experience that you want the other person to have, it kind of eliminates the feeling of loss if you don't hear back from them right away right? Because you believe that you've made the impact that you want to make. And maybe they just are either not your people or they're not ready. And I think a lot of times when we go into conversations or when we show up on social media or whatever, we're so concerned that, you know, I close the deal, right? Because I've done the, here's the problem, here's the solution, blah, 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 the things um, that we're not thinking about really the authenticity of the way we show up. And when we come to the table in the way that we want to, and give in a way that says, I want these people to have this impact and, and have this experience. When we pull away and we don't get the answer we want right away, we can say, I did my part. I feel good about that. Yeah, and, and I wanted to share something really, really quick, if it's okay, Stephanie, about, I went to a training with this guy who's a singer and he's amazing. And he, he said to me, Virginia, do not look at the likes, do not look at the engagement, do not look at anything. Because he said, it doesn't mean anything. And he said, okay, think about you're going to a networking group and you are in a room of extroverts and introverts. And he said, you know, he was an introvert. And he said, Virginia, like the introverts may not even click or like or reply or anything, but they're reading your content. So they're almost like ghosts looking at your content. And I was like, oh, you know, so it really helped me like see all of this interaction from a social perspective that not everyone, or for example, maybe somebody's looking for a job and like you're posting about how they find a job or something, but they're not going to like it because then people are going to see that they have it, but they read it, right? So, so I thought it was really interesting to think that sometimes even how we predict human behavior is actually not even accurate. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Virginia. We appreciate it. And Megan, would you like to introduce yourself and share your tip? And then Yana Tori, will you, you'll be up next. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Um, thanks, guys. I'm Megan. I am a global campaigns director at TalkDesk. Um, TalkDesk is an AI-powered cloud contact center platform um, built for different industries. So um, it's a really great platform um, for contact centers to use to just align everything together and make sure that everyone has um, the best customer experience possible. So um, today, my tip is going to be um, a little bit about marketing and sales alignment also. So um, 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and go into slideshow mode here. Awesome. Um, so I want to talk about something that I did recently with my team. Um, it's called a marketing campaigns blitz kit. Um, and it's basically a one-stop shop deck uh, for the sales team to really use and qualify um, just to be able to know exactly what we're putting out as a campaigns team on the marketing side um, and how best to use it and who they should be contacting. So um, I'll try and go through these pretty quickly. Um, what was the objective behind the Marketing Campaign Splits Kit? What did we want to accomplish? Um, it was across these three main pillars, which was consistency, transparency, and enablement. So consistency, in the past, our marketing team had been sharing various slides about different events, assets, webinars that we were doing, um, and there wasn't really a consistent format. So the sales team was getting a lot of information um, in different formats in different areas from different people. So we kind of wanted to have a consistent one-stop shop place for the sales team to go to in order to see all of the greatness that marketing was putting out. Um, the second piece was transparency. So um, when asking the sales team to help us promote new assets or webinars or drive um, meetings at events, um, similar to what Sherry's talking about with um, the telesales, uh, we wanted to be really transparent about like what we were kind of doing with each of our assets, each of our webinars, what was the purpose behind it? Why is it important to our prospects? Um, all of these wonderful things um, that they they would be interested in learning when they're having those conversations um, with the, the end user or um, customers or prospects. So we wanted to share what we've also done um, on the marketing side so they know, oh, like we've already contacted these people. Um, we've done these promotions already. Who's a different audience base that we can target um, to make sure we're spreading the word as widely as possible. Um, and then the last piece was enablement. So, um, you know, this campaign's blitz kit, we really wanted to enable the sales team to do um, the best, you know, promotions for all of the things that we're working on, um, but be, you know, hand in hand, transparent with each other and make sure that they had all of the tools that they needed to do that outreach. Um, so similar to what Sarah was saying at the beginning, um, we use ChatGPT a lot to kind of help build those sales emails. Um, and you'll see those kind of linked in each of our slides um, that I'm going to show later to help them have LinkedIn in-mail copy, social post copy, um, sales follow-up copy, all of that great stuff. So really utilizing um, AI-powered tools to really provide the best amount of uh, information for the sales team to enable them to reach out to our prospects. Oops. Um, so what is in the Blitz Kit? Um, these are just a few screenshots from the actual Blitz Kit itself. Um, there's obviously the title uh, page and then an index. Um, all of them are linked and split up between all of the different campaigns that we have. So at TalkDesk, we have the overall CX Persona campaign, um, which is our horizontal content. So anything related to CX, AI, um, all of our uh, wonderful products that we have. And then we also have industry-specific campaigns. So our core industries are financial services, so that's banking and insurance, um, healthcare, um, which is healthcare provider, and then we also have a retail industry. So those are our three main industry campaigns that we focus on. So we split up our content um, to share out with the sales team within each of those campaigns as well. So they know if they're talking to a bank, for example, they can go to the banking section of the Splits Kit slide to find relevant information that speaks their language. Um, we also have customer expansion campaigns as well as partner marketing campaigns that we can link to, um, and they're all linked in that index. So if they just want to go to that blitz kit, click into the area that they want, it's easy to find everything. 
Um, on the right side, you'll also see the different calendars we have. So we have an overview calendar of our different halves. So we go by quarters, um, but we also go by halves. So this is just like a bird's eye view for the sales team to see what's coming up um, within the marketing organization. But then we also break it down monthly. So you see that last screenshot there. Um, that one was from May, but um, you know we break down what's coming out in the month so they can see it by week, by month, or um, by quarter, or by half. So making it very easy for them to see what's coming up on the schedule. Um, okay, and then what is actually in a blitz kit? So I have three different templates. I'm going to try and speed through really quick, um, but it's for different assets, different webinars, and different events. Um, so you'll see in the next coming slides all of the different things that we have. They're very similar, so I'll go through them fairly quickly because I know I only have the four minutes, um, but each of them are laid out very similarly in the terms that there is a what to know section and a what to do section. So the what to know section at the top is going to give them all the information about the asset, the webinar, the event, when it's going to be, where it's going to be, who's my target audience, who's going to be attending the event, um, you know, why it matters, what is the hook, what do I want to tell prospects? And then the what to do section is kind of like their action area. So similar, again, to what Sherry was saying earlier, you know, give the sales team exactly what they need to do, prep them to make sure that they're getting ready for an event, for a webinar, for, you know, sharing out an asset. So um, there's a promote this asset slash webinar section, um, but there's also follow up with the assigned leads. So after the trade show happens, after the webinar happens, leads get assigned out. What do I do with it then? You know, all of the information is right there on each of the slides. So I'll go through those really quickly. Um, first one, again, asset. Like I said, very um, similar layout to all of the other ones I'll go through later, but the what to know section is very clear at the top. It shows the topic of what the asset is about. We also have a little index in that top right corner with the campaign tactic title or tactic type topics, um, all of that good stuff. So when the sales team is going through the blitz kit, they can also look at that little corner um, index just to say, oh, I want something from the CX persona campaign campaign. Um, that's a report on generative AI. Um, so we'll have all of those topics in the top. The why it matters is something that was really important to the sales team. We did talk with them and say, hey, what is what do you want to know about the assets that we're putting out? So they did give a little summary of like, hey, if you can give a couple of bullets of why this matters to the prospect, that would be great. So we put that in there. And then again, what to do, everything is listed out there. Who's the audience you should be targeting? Um, post this copy on your LinkedIn. Send this LinkedIn email to promote this asset. Um, and all of those link out to a template that has the copy available. We also link to outreach email templates and Salesforce email templates. So that's the easiest way for them to send things out. They have that um, just one click of a button and, and they can get to uh, the assets that they need. Um, same with webinars, again, similar topic. I'll kind of skip through these. It just has the date as well and any um, important speakers, but very similarly laid out. And then same with events. So events is a little bit different from the assets and webinars in the sense that the what to do has a promote and book meetings area. And then there's a follow up with hot leads, which is like the very, very hot ones that Sherry mentioned, like they want to book a demo now, like make sure that they are qualified. Let's talk to them first. But then we also have follow up with non hot leads. So if you get a list of people from the trade show that says, hey, um, you know, I visited your booth, but maybe I only came for the swag, but we're going to email you anyways and say, hey, like this is what we we're here at the event for, um, if they qualify later on, whether they interact with a demo or, you know, one of our, um, 
webinars that we promote later on, um, they can follow up with the non-hot leads uh, with that information on that side. So just a really easy way to kind of help um, the sales team with all of the wonderful marketing content that we're putting out, whether it's PRs, assets, content, all of the really great stuff. Um, but yeah, just a one-stop shop area to kind of help your sales team just be informed of all the great things you're doing in marketing. They're great, Megan. That is so just a really easy way to kind of help um, the sales team with all of the wonderful marketing content that we're putting out, whether it's PRs, assets, content, all of the really great stuff. Um, but yeah, just a one stop shop area to kind of help your sales team just be informed of all the great things you're doing in marketing. They're great, <laughs> Megan. That is so well organized. That is the most organized packet I've ever seen for a sales team. That's amazing. That's <laughs> Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing, Megan. That's amazing. On um, Just in the interest of time, I'm going to go ahead and jump to Yana Tori. And if we have time at the end, we can do a little bit more discussion. I just want to make sure you guys, in case you have something coming up at 11, want to be respectful of time. So we're going to toss it to Yana Tori, introduce yourself and share your tip, please. And then we'll see if we have a little bit of time at the end for some questions. Okay, perfect. I, I mean, you guys know me. I talk so quickly. So if anybody else needs to hear this again, you guys can like hear in like 0.5 speed. So I'm Yana Tori. I'm a deliverability specialist. I am always the bearer of bad news because nobody ever thinks about deliverability until there's actually a problem. Um, so my motto when it comes to email is that email doesn't matter if nobody actually gets the message. And my job is to make sure that people get the message in the inbox or promotion tabs or whatever it is that you're doing. The tab is going to be correct there. And today I will be talking about something very, very basic, but that everybody um, has a little bit of different information when it comes to it. So I'm going to share an image here uh, in the chat so that everybody has access to it. It is a very, 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 very old um, study that's been done. So the people that are just listening um, in 2015, all the way to 2017, um, somebody wanted to make sure that the open rates that MailChimp and HubSpot and all these companies where recording were the actual open and click rates, for example, um, that were true coming from people. And so what they did is that they were checking with specific companies what the email software provider was saying was the open and click rates. And then they were asking the actual providers. So on the Gmail side, on the Yahoo, Verizon, and so on, what did they see on their end? And they have the real information if people are actually opening, clicking emails. And as you can see over time, um, in 2015, about, you know, 95% was real click rates by 2016 that dropped at 75%. And by 2017, about 30, 30 something percent of it were actual real click rates. And we all know that when it comes to email or click rates, depending on what business and industry you're in are between one or two, 5%. So imagine now if I come in and burst your bubble and say 30% of that 1% is fake. Um, so today I'll be talking about how email marketing metrics actually work. Uh, they've always worked this way. Um, just That's just how the technology works. So I'm going to start with open rates. Uh, when it comes to open rates, the only way for MailChimp and all these companies to know that somebody has opened the email on the other side is that they add an invisible image, a tiny, tiny tracking pixel, we call it inside the email. And whenever an email is received, people are gonna, the, the Gmail or Yahoo is gonna download the content, including that invisible image, which then will tell MailChimp and so on that, hey, this email has been opened because that image has been downloaded. Now, the problem there is that when it comes to providers like Microsoft Office um, or people who don't wanna spend too much data on their phones, if they don't, down, if they don't click on the 
I want to download all images or all content of the, uh, of the email. They might have opened the email, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, that the images have been downloaded. You have to click on the button and only if somebody clicks on that button will then these email marketing companies know that it's been open. So I usually use G Suite for most of the domains that I own, but I do have a domain on uh, that's using Amazon. It's just free, so I use that. And when I receive marketing emails, I am too lazy, unfortunately, to click on that, you know, download all images button, which means that these people don't know that I've opened the email. I have opened it. I've read it. I'm looking at the content, but I have not downloaded the, any of the images, the banners or whatnot, which means also the tracking pixel has been open. So on their end, they don't see me as an open and a half. And then you got the flip side. If your sender reputation is not doing very well, the spam filters uh, are going to open and click on emails to make sure everything's okay. Uh, there's millions of things happening in the world of email every day in terms of scamming, phishing, spoofing, security. And sometimes it can be just luck. Uh, the spam filters need to look what you're doing because you decided as you know Walmart that I'm going to be talking about you know selling clothes and wheels and oil changes. And then I want to talk to my pharmaceutical department. And then Google's going to take a step back and say, hey, you've always been selling products that are you know normal products. Why are we not talking about pharmaceuticals? Um, so in that case, they might open and click on links to make sure everything's okay, which then will then skew your statistics. When it comes to clicks, it's as simple as that. Um, when it comes to MailChimp and so on, they're going to add a link over yours. It works the same way as it would for Bitly. So it's like a redirect. Every email times the number of links you have times the number of people or the number of links that these companies are going to create in order to track. So every person gets a different link. And that's how they know if somebody's clicked or opened an email. You might see, depending on the email marketing tool that you're using, that one company is, says like, you know, this person opened the email 300 times. Trust me, it's not the person who loves your brand. It's a spam filter who's clicked on it a million times. So what you can do uh, for the click rates is connect to Google Analytics. That way you can compare what MailChimp or HubSpot or whatever you're using is saying to what Google Analytics is saying. If people are coming on your website and they all live in California, probably it's a machine. If they've clicked on the link and they've stayed on the website for less than a second, probably a machine. And the reason why I'm explaining this, which seems very simple, is because at the end of the day, when it comes to deliverability, actually getting the email in the inbox, um, those things are going to skew your data. And if you have skewed data, your marketing strategy may be wrong, which then means you're just making decisions based on data that isn't precise. Uh, so we're all complaining about how Instagram, you know, does whatever they want and the algorithm changes and we're all okay with it. Email works the same way. So you can be angry at Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook, and you can also be angry at email, but you cannot be ang more angry at Google and Yahoo and Microsoft than you are with everybody else and their algorithms because email works the same way. And just, I'm, I'm looking at the time here. You got that one big change, which is super important to understand. Um, Gmail in May last May, made a huge change. One of the things that they care about other than being on block list and good sender reputation is engagement. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has very low engagement, and we're talking about on the Gmail side, so you may see 90% open rates, 30%. We're talking about what Gmail actually sees. They have started putting those emails in the spam folder the same way you would see uh, on social media. So if I post a picture or a post on LinkedIn and my friends and my audience like it, LinkedIn is more likely to show to other people that don't know me. And if I post something nobody likes and nobody engages with, you know, no one will see it. Google has started doing the same thing with your emails. 
So I am not the same persona in my Gmail than my father who is 73 years old, right? So even though he signs up to things because he wants to, I don't know, sign up to something, if Google doesn't think this is something he wanted to sign up to, the email goes automatically to spam. And on, on the business side, the open rates look okay. They look in the, you know, between 10 and 30%. And everybody's like, we're good. Uh, but the revenue is going down. So people are blaming content and subject lines and, you know, we're doing the wrong strategy. But the problem is, especially when it comes to Google, people aren't receiving your emails anymore. Um, so if you guys go like on Reddit or all these websites, you're going to see people complaining about like MailChimp, my open rates have gone down. And what is MailChimp do? It's not MailChimp. The, MailChimp's job is to send the emails. Your job as a sender is to maintain a good reputation and send emails to people who want your message who need your message and are going to read your message because Google is tired of storing all the emails that you think people want to receive. And Google is the, at the forefront of this, but Microsoft and Yahoo and all these other big businesses, which are the majority of your list are also going in that direction. So if you don't make the changes now to have good statistics as closely as possible as you possibly can, uh, you might be making decisions uh, and making the wrong strategy moves because that's mm -hmm. the numbers. That have. And that's okay. it. Thank you, Yantre. Write your book. We all want a copy of your book. <laughs> all right. I'm going to put it. I always love the chat, Yantre. Thanks for, I'm so glad that you came and shared today. Thank you guys. I put a link in the chat for September. So all of you sign up, bring your marketing friends, right. submit a tip, and we will see you guys in September. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Thank you for listening to the SoGrow Marketing Council podcast. Want to be part of our next meeting? Visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W. G-R-O-W-P-R.com and click on the Marketing Council tab to sign up for our next event. Until next time, keep growing.